0: This is a HeadGum Podcast. I'm Yasmin, the host of the podcast, Witty. Women in tech talk to Yaz, where I talk to female coders and execs about how they're shaking up the tech industry. Subscribe on iTunes and like us on Facebook.
1: Tune into the Unapologetic Podcast with lifestyle, wellness, entertainment, and cultural commentary geared towards bridging the gap between millennials and Gen Xers. Subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes, as well as its online presence at www.unapologeticallyus.com.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm teaming up with the website Rewire.News to explore the intersection of their work and mine on a brand new podcast called Get It Right. On Get It Right, we explore pop culture through the lens of justice, and particularly reproductive justice. I'll be talking to critics and creators about comics, movies, TV, music, anything is fair game. You can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher to search for Get It Right or Rewire. Give it a listen and drop us a review with any ideas for what you'd like to hear us cover. See you soon. Hi, this is Karen
1: Pittman. I play Inspector Priscilla Ridley on Marvel's Luke Cage, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Mika Burton. I work for Rooster Teeth, and you're listening
3: to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
4: Hi, this is Ernie Hudson, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Riley Ritchie, a.k.a. Jacob Anderson, a.k.a.
2: Grey Worm from Game of Thrones, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
3: I'm Dee Watkins, New York Times bestselling author of The Cook-Up, and the B-side. You are now listening
1: to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Rick Fox from
4: Greenleaf, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerd Podcast.
2: Hey, it's Samal Lathan, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Gina prince Spicewood, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
3: Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Yeah, better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black
2: girl girl nerves. for tuning in to episode 115 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled simply W. Kamau Bell and Angie Thomas. Our first segment features host of CNN's United Shades of America, comedian and now author W. Kamau Bell. He talks about his latest book that's coming out, And we find out Joelle is related to W. Kamal Bell. In our second segment, we invite author Angie Thomas, New York Times best-selling author Angie Thomas, I should say, a self-declared black girl nerd and author of the book The Hate You Give. Everybody's been talking about this book and it's being adapted into a motion picture film. This is a one-on-one interview with Kendall. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. We only have two segments this week, but I gotta say, these two segments are filled with a ton of knowledge and wisdom from each of our respective guests. We learn a lot from W. Kamal Bell, and I gotta say, in our second segment with Angie Thomas and Kendall, it felt like I was listening to two Southern girls drinking some sweet iced tea on the porch, just chatting it up. So it's BGN 115, W. Kamal Bell and Angie Thomas. Enjoy! W. Kamau Bell is a critically acclaimed socio-political comedian and host of the Emmy Award-nominated hit, CNN docu-series, United Shades of America. Season 2 premiered on April 30th, and Kamau's first book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell, Tales of a 6'4 African American, Heterosexual, Cisgender, Left-Leaning, Asthmatic, Black, and Proud Blurred, Mama's Boy, Dad, and Stand-Up Comedian, ooh, that's a mouthful, came out on May 2nd of this year. Kamal is the host of three podcasts. Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Politically reactive, and Kamal Right Now. Kamal Right Now also airs live on NPR radio station KALW. Kamal's first comedy special, Semi Prominent Negro, was produced and directed by Morgan Spurlock. Hi, guys.
0: This is Joelle Smith, and I am so freaking excited because today. We have W. Kamau Bell. Uh, some of you might know him from CNN, uh, United Shades of America. Some of you might know him from his amazing stand-up. Some of you may have read his incredible articles. Many of you will be rushing to the stores May 2nd to pick up his new book, which has an incredible title, which we will get into shortly. Please help me in welcoming W. Kamau Bell to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have been on this incredible whirlwind tour of uh not just stand-up not just doing um upfronts for the book you've been uh doing stand-up and opening up for a dave chapelle on these crazy five-hour gigs how where is all of the stamina coming from
4: um <laughs> that's a good question because i don't feel like i have much left <laughs> uh yeah no uh yeah, I haven't, the Chappelle thing, I haven't, done, I talked about that on the Tonight Show last night. I haven't done that for years. So luckily, uh, he, 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 he doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> Not that he ever needed me. But yeah, I'm definitely promoting the book, you know, promoting United Shades, like, you know, trying to get started to do some stand up again. And I have two daughters and I'm married. So yeah, there's, I, I'm hoping that there's some point where like a, a vacation magically reveals itself, but, uh, that doesn't seem like it's happening too exactly. soon.
0: Are you one of those creatives who is always talking about going on vacation, but is always signing up for new work?
4: Yeah, that's yeah. You sound like my wife. Uh, yeah, that's
0: <laughs> exactly. I hear, you know, a lot of the girls who who are here on the show and, and do the podcasting with us are the same way. We're always like, man, I need a break, and then the next thing we know, we've got whole week's booked full of things. Yeah, it's 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 just it's crazy, but it's also. Kind of fun. I, I don't know how I would live if I wasn't always doing something or looking forward to doing something.
4: Yeah, you know, I think when you're a creative person, especially when you, you know, like most creative people, you spend a lot of time doing a lot of work and not making any money. So when you start to make a little bit of money and people start to request your services, you can very easily remember back to the time where you were making no money and you, where you wished anybody would call you. And then also the other thing is that it's not like being in the creative industry is like a factory where you go, well, I got this job for the next 40 years and I'll mm-hmm. retire. You know, so you just, you know, As as my friend Jason always says, you got to strike while the iron is lukewarm.
0: (laughs) I like that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the show United Shades of America, which kind of had this splash debut uh, last year and season two was coming out shortly. I was really blown away in watching the first season and the places you were willing to go. Were you picking all of the locations or did you have a producer kind of, especially for your first episode where you were meeting with the KKK, maybe pushing you? in for great ratings no that was
4: that was all me i mean wow. i think you know i definitely had it that was the pilot episode of the series so i knew i had a sense that we had to go big or go home so that was definitely all me. i don't know if anybody could have talked me into that if i had had that idea i might have felt like it was a trick <laughs> why are you trying to tell me to meet with the clan but you know I, you know as a black man in america the clan was always something you heard about and read about and also mm-hmm. i sort of studied a little bit and always paid attention to this they're, they're always around it's not like they, a lot of people think the Klan didn't exist anymore and so a big part of the episode was just showing to america a lot of Americans, that the Klan was still a real thing and so you know while some people were like why would you give them a platform most people were like most people i heard from were like oh my god i had no idea and I, you know now despite that that didn't seem to stop that didn't seem to you know people just sort of watched it i did you know i'm really hoping that the show helps people engage in their communities because especially where we are in america right now like you know this weekend the premiere episode is about immigrants and refugees, but we have like a, an interview with Richard Spencer, the guy who created the term alt right. Wow. And I really hope that the, the the frustration you get from watching the interview with him, you actually take to your communities and have conversations with, and don't just sort of like you know think that it's, he's just one guy. He those ideas are represented in the White House now, so mm-hmm. those of us who are against those ideas have to have to have to speak loudly and 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 resist, as they say.
0: Uh, people who have, were skeptical us I was, I was talking about the show with some friends, and they were like. I don't know, and I was like, Just let me show you the trailer, and CNN's got this amazing trailer with you talking to Richard Spencer, and you can see your jaw clenching. Was there ever a moment where you wanted to just walk <laughs> away from this interview?
4: You know it's funny, people have pointed that out that uh, yeah i have a, I have a I couldn't play poker, I got a pretty good tell uh yeah like i I know i i think you know it it is hard to sort of sit there sometimes and listen to things that are being said but by the same token it's like my job is to sit there and let him get as comfortable as possible and really talk because the more he talks and the more comfortable he gets the more people at home are are hearing something that they've probably never heard before Mm -hmm. and the more he's likely to say something that he probably didn't expect to say you know so it's funny the whole interview doesn't really swing on you know uh you know Sort of his bigger ideas, it really swings on for me the fact that he is, is horrified by the idea of a black James Bond. It seems like such a small, <laughs> tiny thing that to, for a guy who's supposed to be trying to take over the whole country, like really, if you're going to get hung up on black James Bond, you're <laughs> probably not going to get to that white ethnic state you want.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. I feel like, especially because uh, us being, you know, uh, POC and nerdy, uh, we're always kind of pushing and striving for the little things, like, you know, small victories of, of visibility um but it's equally as funny when it comes from the other side and people are like why why do you want to see yourself i mean don't you enjoy seeing yourself when you're watching a show or reading a book and you can put yourself in the main character's shoes and that fun to you i never understood like yeah, that yeah, to hang yeah. up for people
4: <laughs> no i think you know it's, it's funny to me that like I also just felt like who's that invested in James Bond anymore? Like who cares what you do, <laughs> with James Bond? Like, like <laughs> I mean, I would like more black action stars. I think you know. But if we're going to make a black James Bond, then let's sign it yourself up. But I just don't feel like I he like really ex- like expressed his face turned at that moment when I mm-hmm. said that. I thought that was really like that was the thing I sort of hung on. You get to pull on people sort of want me to really like confront him, but it's like. I've seen that before. I don't, that's not how I do it. For me, it's like trying to have an interesting conversation. Really, it's about getting them to talk a lot and really say things that maybe they've never said before in a way they've never said it. Cause one of the big things he, that I think he reveals in the episode is like the racism stuff is offensive, but really his gender politics is maybe worse. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, you may not need black people but you actually need women for any movement, you know, because you, you know, you, <laughs> so uh, it's really, that's the thing that I think the whole thing swings on in a way that I found that even more offensive.
0: Why bring the show to CNN? You know, as a as a stand-up comedian, do you think the news needs comedy in order to tell maybe a, a full spectrum of these stories? Or was it, you know, uh, the way they kind of go about producing these shows that intrigued you?
4: You know, it, to be honest, the show was brought to CNN before I was even a part of it. And oh, yeah. I feel pretty lucky now that, that that happened. Like, I was sort of – CNN suggested me, so I have to shout out to CNN. And, you know, and they suggested me to the production company and the production company liked me. And so, you know, but, you know, just to be clear, I think I'm pretty lucky to be in a network like CNN because there's not a lot of shows on CNN. So, like, this weekend with the show premiering, like, I'm on every show on CNN. They have my lower third on every show. They're showing the commercials constantly because they don't have a lot of shows. You know, it's me and Bourdain right now or the and soundtracks. They have three shows. Whereas, like, if I was at, like, a bigger network that had more programming, it'd be harder to find space to promote the thing. But if you're watching CNN for 15 minutes, you're going to see my face. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry about that if you get exhausted by it. And then the other thing about CNN that's great is that, you know, even if you don't care about CNN at all, eventually you're sitting in an airport waiting for your flight and it's on the TV. <laughs> like, so a lot of people stumble across my show who never would have just because it's in their face at the dentist's office or a coffee shop. It's just there. So, you know, it's been, it's been real good for me.
0: Um, I'm curious, cause we, we've talked about, you know, some of the heavier episodes with the KKK and, uh, the, your upcoming show, um, which also did, you know, these kind of, I don't want to say softer, but maybe less suspected. The, the the tag of the show is a black man goes where he's not supposed to. Um, but you do, you go to prison and you talk to a bunch of the guys there, including veterans, which I found fascinating. You just story off the grid one in Alaska, which episode from season one kind of maybe surprised you most or had the, uh the most crazy moment
4: uh it was definitely the i mean the one that surprised me most was the the episode we did in san quentin prison like i really went in there Mm. really afraid of talking to those guys and came out really like you know loving those guys and really wanting to help them i've been back twice twice or three times since the episode i feel bad i should have gone back more but it's you know i really find those guys to be quite uh quite uh like uh, like quite self-actualized and edu- they've educated themselves in prison yeah. they have way more college degrees than i have because i have zero <laughs> and the uh, it really sort of posed the question of like okay if you have all these self-actualized thoughtful and i was only talking to men but men in prison and they you know a lot of the crimes they committed were 20 years ago or more when a lot of them, when they were like either teenagers or in their early 20s, now they're in their 40s or 50s, and they haven't really offended in prison for years and years. Like, and and a lot of them, I mean, there's some crimes where maybe you need to stay in prison for the rest of your life. But most of the guys I talked to, was for stuff like, you know, life imprisonment for bank robbery seems mm-hmm. crazy. You know, like I'm not, you know yeah. it just seems like, you know, especially where nobody died. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. saying bank robbery's not a crime, but it's where, you know, uh, the guy, the guy who did the crime that I'm talking about, Juan, didn't he said he had a bomb, but he didn't have a bomb. You know, like it's just a whole mm-hmm. series of things where it's like, you know, and he's in there, he's literally like running around, like leading the prisoners and running the newspaper and, and making connections. And it's like, you need that guy on the outside. And as we sit or in this country, wondering where the new in, inventions and innovations and leaders are going to come from. Well, we've locked a lot of those people up probably.
0: Yeah, it was fascinating. That's maybe my favorite episode. When you're sitting out in the yard with them and talking, it sounded a lot like when I hear my dad talk to the guys at the barber shop. And then you have this moment yeah. with a veteran who's running this amazing program for veterans in prison. And then you find out he's a prisoner himself. It was mind blowing He, because he's got the button up. And I was like, oh, you know, he's just a guy mm-hmm. working to help, you know, his fellow veteran to find, come yeah. find out that he's also in prison for having committed a crime. And he brought a lot of humanity to, I think, as he said earlier, a lot of people who we don't treat as human always um, and it's it's a really beautiful and also incredibly funny episode
4: yeah no i like and a lot of that stuff happened after we got behind the, behind the behind the bars that we sort of like just sort of followed the interesting stories. so like we were walking through the you know like the the like walking through the eldar and this this one of the the, the brother who had the, the tam on mm. like saw me goes if you want the real story talk to us I was like, all right. And we set up a conversation for the next day. Like, just like, I don't know what you have, but I like your, I like your gumption. I want to hear what you think the real story is. And that ended up being one of the are one of the best scenes of the whole season and it ends i like when this when the people in the laugh when they get the big laugh at the end of scenes mm-hmm. and that ended up one of the big ones with where, where the the guy who has no access to the to, to the internet tells me to go home and google pinochle <laughs> you know i mean that's because i was such a bad pinochle player so for me that was like this is what i it's such, it, it felt like i was honored to be in there so yeah that was a that to me that was the and that, and that episode was right after the episode that aired right after the clan. And I was really nervous about it because I thought people are going to think every week it's going to be like me doing something scary where I might die. And a Stenselby prison could have been that, but it wasn't that. So I thought people might not take it. But last season, people really uh, are with us from episode to episode because the tone's changed quite quickly. There's a – quite dramatically. There's a big change from the KKK to the to Alaska.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think at the, the center of that is – this desire for truth and kind of understanding your fellow man. And I, I'm curious if that translates to your book, which has this amazing title that kind of reads like a, a Twitter bio. It's Tales of a Six-Foot-Four African-American, Heterosexual, Cisgender, Left-Leaning, Asthmatic, Black and Proud, Blurred, Mama's Boy, Dad, and Stand-Up Comedian. The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamal Bell.
4: There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where does this title come from? Why did you want to get all of your, um, I guess, kind of isms out there
4: up front? You know, because it's easy just to be put into the black man ism because that's, you know, when you look at me, that's what you see. And I really feel like the book was about more than that. And I believe in putting it on the, you know, that you put it on the tin, put it on the, you know, I believe in long titles. I'm from the Fiona Apple School of Titling Things. So <laughs> I believe you just put it on the thing. This is what it is because I don't. I, you know, I'm, I'm aware that you can think it was something, you know, that, you know, something other than it is. It, and that title to me says comedy because it's sort of absurd. And it also says inclusion without having the word inclusion in it or inclusive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it does a lot of, it does a lot of listing. That then, and it was also great to, like, write the book because then I realized at some point I don't have anything about cisgender in here. And I was like, oh, I should tell the story about how I found out what that is. And so it helped me sort of even know where to go when I was writing the book.
0: So, are you, the book is about your subcategories, then I guess, the, the different areas in which
4: you fall? Yeah, I mean, the book is about the fact that we, oftentimes, we have to put ourselves in very specific categories. You know, we have to, you know, or, or we're sort of limited to the categories that people see, that people uh, see when they're looking, when they see us walking down the street. And I think that we all know we're more than just one thing. We all have more titles. And that's sort of, for me, is a, it's the idea of, like, looking at yourself and go, how else would I describe myself? And some of that is actually learning how I wouldn't describe myself. Like, do you notice the title feminism isn't in the title, or feminist isn't in the title. Because I was like, I don't feel that good about, as a man, labeling myself a feminist. <laughs> like you don't, why not? not. That's kind of like. I feel like it's like a, it's like somebody awarding themselves a black belt in karate. That's not how it works. Like as a a, a man, I feel like I can aspire to feminist ideals, and I certainly do because I have two daughters and my wife is a feminist. But I feel like, you know, I feel like it's a when men go walk around really sort of. Owning the title of feminist, it just starts to feel a little bit like icky. <laughs> and I'm not saying okay. they're not male feminists. I'm just saying that I can't. I didn't feel comfortable throwing, putting that title on myself, especially when it's like I know what's in my head. Like, <laughs> like I, know what, I know what I'm. I know what I'm sorting through before I say things sometimes. And you know, I know. What, you know, so I think that it's like I, you know, i, I it, it, it seems like something that I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't feel comfortable. Like you know. How could you be a feminist and say this? Good point, right?
2: <laughs> I really
0: like the idea that um a woman would have to bestow you with the title of feminist that you can't claim it. You could be it, you could aspire to yeah. it, but that it's got to come from a woman. Um I know we're, we're running out of time, so I want to wind down here a little bit and talk to you about maybe what you I mean as we mentioned at the top of the show you you're doing so much and a lot of it seems to be exploration about walking around as a man in black skin and i'm curious if in the past year you've learned anything or you felt you've like grown or maybe if in any of these experiences you've kind of been surprised to learn something different about yourself that you didn't know going into these projects
4: there's always more to learn you know i have a podcast with my friend harry from the bowl politically reactive and every week, you know, and we really keep the the podcast pretty loose. It's a con. It's all conversations with people, and so often our listeners will get frustrated, that like we didn't ask somebody a certain question, or we didn't we didn't pursue somebody hard enough on something. And I, you know, sometimes we sort of go, it's a conversation. It's like if we didn't get there, maybe we'll have a conversation again to try to get there next time. But it's really just a conversation. But sometimes they call us out about things we say and and things that we put forth, and they correct us and fact check us. And I feel like the thing that I've most learners of all these projects is you have to be ready you have to be willing to be corrected when you're wrong. I think that's the biggest thing you can do mm. in any uh in any if you're trying to be the ally of other people, you have to be willing to be corrected when you're wrong and not get caught up in your ego. And that's the whole awkward thing. The focus about my awkward thoughts and when you're corrected it's awkward. It's easy to get defensive and talk over people and get loud. But for me it's like if I really, if you tell me I'm wrong, I sit back and listen. And then sometimes I'll disagree and go, I think we have a different opinion. thank you for talking to me. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, you're right, I'm wrong. I'll try to do better. So that's the awkwardness we're sitting in now. We currently have a president in the White House who doesn't think he's ever been wrong in his life. He's mm. really wrong a record number of times every day. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it just feels to me like that's, that's indicative of where we're at as a country. And I think a lot of people in the country are taking on his, his, uh, his ways of being in the world, and it's not a good way for us to live in this country. It's that we have to be able to be sensitive to those around us and be willing to admit when we're wrong. That's what that's how we get to the better America. You know, that's how we get to, you know, uh, the the country that we that we that most of us want this country to be. That the, that the what is it? Fifty two percent of us who voted for Hillary Clinton. I don't remember what it was, but you know, or, or the or the fifty five percent of us who didn't vote for Trump. You know that we all know that that's the. That's the America uh we we should have, it was have to fight for it
0: um so it's been a, a real pleasure watching you um, tackle these issues, especially in i guess spaces where traditionally it's incredibly challenging for a black person just to get access to or to get real answers to um and we're as we're trying to have these conversations in our personal lives it's It's hard because I know a lot of us are dependent on our jobs or, you know, we don't want to lose family or friends over these issues that are, are near and dear to our hearts, but the conversations are important. So I really appreciate you being out there and kind of, uh, showing us a way, a way of, of starting these conversations at least.
4: Well, thanks. I feel like I'm trying to show myself the way. (laughs) So if anybody thinks this is the right way, feel free to come this way, but also be prepared to turn around and go the other way when I get lost.
0: Um, I want to end the show in a in a kind of uh, awkward black moment, if you don't mind. So I told my mom I was interviewing you and she got very excited and she was like, you know, we're related. And I was like, mommy, don't do this. <laughs> don't tell yeah. me that we're related. And she was like, no, he's related to Jerry Bell of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who is married to my aunt Ruthie. Yes, my aunt Ruthie. Oh. So, yeah, okay. I guess we're like second, third Cousins apart by marriage, That's,
4: kind of that's hilarious. <laughs> we are we are actually related. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I died okay, once ago. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's that's really really funny. I'm like I was ready because you know there's Bell is not the most uncommon name. Mm-hmm. i was to hear some sort of like Bell that I'd never heard. And I was like, okay, sure. I mean, and often people go if if you're If your last name is Bell and you're from you know, Alabama, Mississippi or Louisiana, yes, I'm sure we were all related. At least we were (laughs) on the street. Our people came from the same plantation at some point. But uh but yeah, no, that's we are actually related. Your mom is right. Your mom.
0: I, I had to confirm uh, I, I was scrolling through Jerry's Facebook and I was like, let me make sure I don't embarrass myself in front of this man.
4: But it was cool. Well, um, thank you. For, thank you. Oh, so you, saw, you saw like, oh, he's commented on his things. Oh, yes, this is a, this is a real.
0: Yeah, it was actually really sweet. He posted, he was like, I'm so proud of my cousin and the work he's doing on CNN. And I was like, okay, well, that's legitimate. It's right there. It's in black, <laughs> black and white.
4: <War."> Verified.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that awkward family uh, black moment with me. And thank you so much for coming on our show. We really
4: appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me.
2: Angie Thomas was born and raised and still resides in Jackson, Mississippi. She's a former teen rapper whose greatest accomplishment was an article about her in Write On Magazine. She holds a BFA in Creative Writing from Belhaven University and her debut young adult novel, The Hate You Give, is published by Bray Harper-Collins and Balzer, which was released on February 28th of this year. The Hate You Give is now being adapted into a motion picture film. Film rights have been optioned by Fox 2000 with George Tillman attached to direct and Hunger Games actress Amanda Stenberg attached to star.
3: Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is your host, Kendall, and joining me today is number one New York Times bestselling author, Angie Thomas. Her thrilling debut young adult novel, The Hate You Give, shot to the top of the New York Times bestseller list just one week after it was published. Her story follows 16-year-old Star Carter, who witnesses her childhood best friend fatally shot by a police officer. After the shooting, Starr confronts the reality of racial injustice in America and learns the importance of finding and using her voice. Angie, thank you so much for coming on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Thank you. I am so, like,
1: honored to be here. Like, this is seriously a dream come true. Um, (laughs) And you're probably like, girl, that's your dream. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Not the New York Times bestseller. I I mean, that's great, but, like, you guys have given girls like me such visibility and it is so important so to have your platform and them to be on your podcast I'm just I'm amazed so thank you for having
3: me and thank you
1: for even existing
3: yes and I mean I think more people a lot of people obviously know about your book but more people need to know about it so I I mean I I read it I started reading it on a Tuesday and I finished it on a Thursday like I inhaled it <laughs> Wow, that is awesome. <laughs> like, I was flipping through the pages, I was like, I can't stop reading this. And then I sent <laughs> out like a, a mass text to my friends. And I said, you guys, I just need to tell you about this book. You have to go pick it up. And my friend texted me back. And she's like, oh, I picked that book up yesterday. I just saw a black girl on the cover. And I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> like, she literally picked up your book because there was a black girl on the cover and that's just something we don't see, especially in a new, like a number one New York times selling novel. So I, it's, it's
1: amazing. Like I've had so many young black girls thank me for the cover. Um, I can't take credit for it, of course, because right. I'm not an artist, but <laughs> um, there's an artist by the name of Deborah Cartwright. And she is a black woman in New York city who does amazing artwork. And so Harper Collins got her to do, the artwork that we see on the book um and but what's gotten me is the black girls who come up to me and they're like thank you because I've never seen myself on a book cover and I'm like publishing you gotta fix that because we don't see enough of ourselves on covers so every time I hear someone say oh I picked it up because I saw someone like me on the cover I'm
3: like yes
1: you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's important it really is and I hope we see more of it
3: yeah, same. Uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about your book um, for those people listening that don't know about it. Your book is titled "The Hate You Give," and that has a very special meaning. And I know um, you've you've answered this question before, but just kind of explain um, the meaning behind the the title and why you chose that title for your book.
1: Sure, um, it's. First of all, I always have to point out that the U in it is on purpose. It's spelled instead of the hate U, Y-O-U is the hate U with the letter U give. And I've had people come at me sideways like, what are you doing? Are you trying to be ghetto? And I'm like, are you kidding me? First of all, I know how to spell. It's on purpose. I swear it is. Um, It comes from Tupac Shakur. Everybody knows Pac for having that thug life tattoo across his abdomen. But what a lot of people don't know is that it was an acronym for the hate you give little infants F's everybody. And he once explained that as meaning that what society feeds into youth has a way of Affecting us all. And he said that in like 1992 in reference to the Los Angeles riots. So we still see that though today. Um, the hate that's given into the little infants affects us all. So that's exactly what happens in the book. And I felt like it was, it just made sense to use that. And also that word thug, it spells out thug. That word is so often thrown out there to describe young black men who lose their lives. Yes. Um, at the hands of police and people use that and they say it in such a negative way. But I wanted to take that word and give it a whole new spin. I wanted to give it a whole new meaning and I wanted people to look at that word that they use so often to describe our young black men and I wanted them to really examine themselves before they use that word anymore.
3: Yes, and people do, they do like to throw that word thug around and you, I mean, you you know, you talk about that in the book, but also, just with the most recent story about Jordan Edwards and how so much in the news was like, oh, well, he wasn't a thug. And it's like, well,
1: right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I really wanted to raise the question. Okay. If we have a young man who did everything you thought he shouldn't have done, does that take away the value of his life? Exactly. Not, you know, I hate that we've gotten to that point where people, look for the bad to automatically validate somebody losing their life, you know, Right. and and that's exactly what I wanted to look at with this book. So yeah, I, it it gets me every single time I see somebody do that.
3: Yeah. Because it's like, no matter what your past is in this particular moment, you are innocent. Right. Right. Exactly. And that doesn't take away from the value um, of your life. And you definitely address that um, because so, Black Lives Matter is the central theme of this book, and I love how unapologetic your story is. Um, I read somewhere that you said this book started out as a short story and then turned into a novel. What made it, you uh, decide? Yeah, what made you decide to go ahead and turn it into a novel?
1: Well, when I wrote it as a short story, I was in college, and I was the only Black girl in my creative writing program. The only black person, period, in my creative writing program. Oh, wow. a mostly white, upper class, liberal arts school here in conservative Mississippi. Christian school at that. So I just said a mouthful, so it gives you probably an idea of what I was dealing with. <laughs> um, as the only black girl, a lot of times I was looked upon, if there were discussions about slavery, everybody looked at me like I was there or something. Oh, right. But, so... <laughs> so I had my struggles,
4: and I
1: remember, though, as I was in school, Oscar Grant lost his life in Oakland, California, and there was a lot of discussion at my school, and a lot of people blaming Oscar for his own death, and me being the black girl, not just the black girl, but the black girl from the hood, I was in two different worlds hearing two different conversations about Oscar, so at school, he was one of us, I mean, at home, he was one of us, but at school, maybe he deserved it, Um, he had a record, why are people so mad? And in my anger and frustration, instead of having a one-woman riot and turning things up on that campus, I decided to write. So I wrote a short story, but I had to put it aside um, after graduation just because it was so emotionally taxing. But then Trayvon Martin happened, Michael Brown happened, Tamir Rice happened, and I'm feeling those same emotions again. And I'm hearing people on a wider scale say some of the same things about these young men that they were saying in my school about Oscar. And I also remember with Rachel Jantil, the young lady who was on the phone with Trayvon Martin at the time of his death, I remember being so angry with the way um, the media and the majority of the population treated this young lady. They were more focused on how she said things as opposed to what she said. And in my anger and in my frustration and after having conversations with kids around my neighborhood who were so upset because they saw themselves in Trayvon Martin, I had to write. So I wrote it honestly for myself first and foremost. I never thought that it would even be published. So it was a cathartic thing for me. It was like therapy for me. And um I just I had I felt like I had to write it for myself before I lost my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to explore that. I wanted to explore the um the struggles that come with being black in two different worlds. Um, I wanted to discuss these young men who are so often called thugs, and I wanted to show a young black girl who would do things the way that everyone thinks she probably should. But at the end of the day, will anybody still listen?
3: Right. And I, I, I read a lot of young adult novels. And, you know, one of the great things about this book is that this was the first time in a very long time that I felt, I actually related to this 16 year old. You know, I mean, it was just, it was so real. And even I put this in the article about, you know, how you act one way at home and then another way at school. I I could relate to that as far as like being in the corporate world, like acting one (laughs) way at home and then completely code switching to do something else at the office. And so, you know, I could tell that the story that's here it's it's so authentic and it just really speaks to to a large audience so thank you so much for that girl <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> thank you
1: that 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 means everything to me seriously it really does it really does because it was something I was hesitant to do because I don't think I've read like young adult novels that address code switching, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's nothing against because I love YA. I'm not, you know, throwing shade at anything. I just hadn't seen it. And it was something that was such a big part of my life, even as an adult, you know, um, when I was writing this book, I worked at a church, surprisingly, you know, considered <laughs> Purse words in it, but I worked at a church. I was writing this book while at a church, <laughs> and in a way, though, even though it was a black church, I had to code switch. You know, mm-hmm. I may pull up, I may leave the house blasting Tupac, but I better be playing Donnie McClurkin when I'm pulling the parking <laughs> <marketplace>. lot.
3: <laughs> so there are like you turn the places. corner, like whoops, let me uh, yeah,
1: <laughs>
3: turn that I, down. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, one or t- once or twice, I I slipped up. You know, I was blasting. <laughs> I got the parking lot because I was mad and the bishop pulled up beside me and looked at me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm off now. It's all right. I can do what I want. But no, it's just code switching whether it's in corporate spaces, like you were saying, or even in school, like with START, for so many of us, it's part of who we are. It's survival in a lot of ways. So I just wanted to address it in this book in some kind of way because, like I said, so many kids are even dealing with it now.
3: And I'm glad to know though that beyond teenagers
1: adults are connecting with it as well, so
3: yeah, and I also like how you know and you know you you mentioned this, but you channel your anger and your frustration into art, and I think that's it like you said it is emotionally taxing but it was also cathartic and that's so that, that's such a good thing to do to like take the anger and the frustration that you have and create something out of it and I think that's what made this book even extra special um you know because you can take your anger and then take it out in different ways and I think taking it and turning in turning it into something that you created is is really good and healthy
4: yeah just <laughs> healthy <laughs>
3: like (laughs) whether people are like writing poems or writing songs or writing books or painting or just dance, just whatever it is. It's just, it's just so much healthier. (laughs) Oh yeah, it definitely is. It really is.
1: I would, I would recommend it. And I think it's a way that we create empathy because when we pour those emotions into our art and then people, whether they read our books or they look at our art, or something they can't help but feel those emotions as well and that's what gets empathy so I often say that books create empathy and that empathy is stronger than sympathy so I would encourage you know all artists out there to put those emotions into their work because in the end it does make a difference exactly
3: because people who um, are not black or young or who you know experience these feelings directly, they have read this book and still feel emotionally connected and they get what you're trying to say. And I think yeah. that's really powerful, you know.
1: And, and it's amazing to me, you know, when I go to Texas of all places and I have white girls from Texas, from rural Texas, you know, with the thick oh, southern accent. That's my home state. <laughs> I live, I live oh, yeah. in Texas now. <laughs> uh, well I'm from Mississippi, so you know We I, I get it. <laughs> So there's a whole different, you know, type of white southerners. They're mm-hmm. different, you know. They and are. when I have and when I have them telling me, you know, this book changed me or I have the lady who emailed me saying her father was a white supremacist and raised her the same way and she recently realized she needed to change and somebody told her to read my book and it opened her eyes. That's incredible to me. That is because incredible. Girl, what? I, I know. I was not thinking about that lady when I wrote this book, you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> okay, I like her, but to know that my art and what I put into it, those emotions actually created empathy in someone and opened their eyes and is helping them realize the error of their ways, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we give books enough credit for doing stuff like that. I just, But I never would have thought something like that would happen. Never. Never. Girl, I'm like, was she serious? <laughs> she sent me the longest email, and it was beautiful. And I was, because at first I was like, wait, what? You know, but it, when she told me that and she said, you know, I know you didn't write this book for me, but thank you for writing it, because it really has changed my life. I was like, whoa. You know?
3: Right it's It's amazing, it's amazing, well, that's the thing, and like when you when you create art, you know you may have a particular audience in mind, but it is out there for everyone to consume um so you know, like you said she she got this book whatever kind of way someone gave it to her, and it had an impact,
1: yeah yeah and that's that's amazing to me but like I say though at the end of the day though I wanted it I wanted to write it for the black girls absolutely yeah at the end of the day you know I mean everything else is great but whenever a black girl comes up to me and she's thanking me because she sees herself in my book and she says she hasn't seen herself in a book before that's it for me I don't care about the other stuff that other stuff is nice but at the end of the day as long as I'm giving black girls something I'm great (laughs) yeah because
3: I mean it's like it's like it's a perk like okay you know good but right (laughs) but (laughs) so um which character was was the hardest to write oh gosh um Haley. <laughs> oh ooh. yeah, um
1: she's yeah. for, for those who don't know, Haley is a white girl in the book she's star's friend, and um they have some issues along the way, um as far as racism microaggressions, things like that, and that character was the hardest for me to write because I could not find the sympathy for her, and as a writer, you want to try to find at least some, but it was hard because she was based on people who I dealt with. <laughs> yeah so, um, it was hard to write that character um, and it was hard to write her in a way that didn't make well, here's the thing, I wasn't about to shy away from it, you know, um, because, like I said, she was based on people I know and experiences I've had, so I wasn't about to shy away from it, but at the same time, I didn't want a one dimensional character, so it was that was probably the hardest character for me by far,
3: yeah, definitely. Haley says some things, and and when she gets called out on them, her response, I'm like, yeah, mm mm-hmm, yeah, Mm -hmm. we all know someone (laughs) like that. I didn't mean it this way, and I didn't, it's like but it's still racist. like Right, right.
1: You can go on Twitter and find them any day, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so that was, yeah, she was definitely the hardest character for me to write because that's something I'm still struggling with, especially as a woman of color in an industry that's mostly white. So I see Haley's all the time. I deal with Haley's all the time and I'm like, why am I supposed to find sympathy, you know? <laughs> but yeah. as the author, I had to go into a different place and try to really look at this character in a way and, I had to put some stuff aside myself, but at the same time, I was not about to tone her down. I was going to go there with it.
3: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that was a good choice because like I said, I'm, I'm reading the book and I'm like, yep, I know a Haley, I know Chris, I, you know, <laughs> I was like, I know, what was the other friend's name? Maya. Maya. Yes. I know Maya. Like, I know everyone in this book. <laughs> Uh, but one of the, the many things that I love uh, about the book is that Star comes from a loving family with both parents. And both yep. of those parents love each other very much. Um, it definitely shatters the stereotype of black people coming from broken homes. So tell us about your process in creating the characters of Star's family.
1: Um, Well, when I first started on the book, um, it's kind of like what you said. I wanted to break that stereotype because so often people assume that black kids don't have fathers or especially that black kids in the hood don't have fathers, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's a lie. Um, There are plenty of black fathers in the hood and there are plenty of black fathers, period. What are you talking about? So I knew from jump that I wanted her to have a two parent family just to break that stereotype. And then also for the story itself, to me, it would have not, it wouldn't have serve the book well if she didn't have parents who were involved um so often in young adult books and this is not me throwing shade it's just fact you know the parents aren't around and I often say you know like in the hunger games if Katniss's mom was more involved when Katniss raised her hand and said I volunteer as tribute mom would have been like nah I got this girl listen (laughs) excuse me what are you doing get back over here yeah yeah, one of my Twitter followers said it would have been Mama won't let you go hungry games, you know? So it would have been a whole different book, and that's fine. That served that book. That's what she had to do. But in this book, with this and this young lady who just experienced the worst moment of her life her parents need to be there. Her parents need to give her that foundation. Her parents need to be involved. So it was twofold. It served the story and I wanted to break those stereotypes. And honestly, I loved writing her parents, you
3: know? I love, I love reading her parents.
1: (laughs) So I, I'm, I'm happy that I did it because it has like, it, it, it really has shown that, yeah, black kids do have two parents, you know. I've had a, I had a white child tell me, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, and I'm like, yeah, they do. What are oh, you wow. Doing? It's just, just unfortunately because media has portrayed that so often. So mm-hmm. I'm glad, though, that I was able to give her both parents, both loving parents, and despite the fact that the book has such a heavy topic at its core, I hope that the love of her family
3: really balanced it all out. Well, you have the love of her family definitely balanced it out, but you you definitely have some comedic moments. I mean, the mac and cheese debate, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and that's the thing. It's like this book is about, you know, what happened to Khalil, you know, he was shot and killed and that is a heavy topic. Black Lives Matter is a heavy topic, but you were able to sprinkle in like definitely some comedic moments and some loving moments and I felt that it's it it just came full circle, you know? You told it from all sides of the story. That yeah, that mac and cheese debate was
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know I've had people argue with me about that. (laughs) I stand
3: by it. Like is it a side or a meal?
1: Right. I stand by it. It is a side dish and it needs to have cheese crust on top, not no breadcrumb.
3: I stand by that.
1: I'm Southern. Call it what you want. I stand
3: by that though. But uh, <laughs> My friend and I were talking about that. I was like, yeah, I don't trust anybody's mac and cheese that has not been put in an oven. Like, yeah. I don't do that stove stuff. stuff like, <laughs> need you do the stove, at, you know, in the beginning. Whatever right. you need to do to melt your cheese. But at some point, this needs to go in the oven and a crust needs to form. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, my God, that was so funny. It was like, wait, what? And then the, um, the debate about, like, the different names and stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think that was, like, Chris was asking, like, why people have these certain names. And people were like, wait, hold up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, yeah. and that, that scene happened like in the middle of a riot so yeah. just... <laughs> we're like driving away from a riot like trying to get away trying not to get you know hurt and we're over here arguing about mac and cheese
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm sure like to somebody who hasn't read it they're like what but no they really do But, like, it was important to have that stuff to me because when I was writing the book, I thought back to um, one of the hardest things that ever happened to me. And that was my grandmother's passing. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest days in my life was the day of her funeral. But what got me through it was those light moments with my family. You know, when we're joking about things my grandmother said and did. um, And we're laughing about the past and all of this. That's what got me through it. So I wanted to have those lighter moments because I knew for my readers, they would need something to help them get through it, you know, um, because that's what gets me through it a lot. Um, humor. So it wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't want to, you know, make light of this situation at all, but I wanted to find some light in the darkness as corny as that may
3: sound. Oh no, but it's its true. You have to. And in order to get through these difficult times you know you you have to find you have to find something a silver lining that's corny too but <laughs> <laughs> no that's perfect that's perfect that's perfect so um and you did say earlier that you were definitely writing this book for the black girls so what made you um, decide to center your story on star as opposed to a young black male
1: well um when we talk about black lives matter a lot of times the victims who seem to get the most discussion are young black men, understandably so, you know, but then there's a lot of focus in return on black boys and black girls sometimes get left out of the conversation when they're affected by this just as much, you know, um, there was the black girl who was thrown on her desk because she thrown on the, on the floor because she didn't get up from her desk. You know, there was the black girl in Texas at the pool party who was, attacked by the police officer. You know, there's the young black girl, I think it was in Texas again, who was watching her mom. I'm so
3: sorry. I'm not (laughs) throwing shade at Texas, I swear. Listen, (laughs) throw all the, listen. (laughs) I know where I live. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: But we're, we, you know, there are so many incidents with young black girls and they get left out of the conversation. You know, there are organizations that are doing fantastic work for black boys and for black girls. Um, I think about Asada's Daughters in Chicago. They're doing amazing work, but still black girls get left out of it so much. So I wanted to write this for them. You know, I wanted to write it for the black girls at my church. were upset you know when they were hearing people talk about Rachel Jantile and because they saw themselves in Rachel I wanted to write it for them and I wanted to show a black girl in a YA book who wasn't a sidekick um and who had her own story and um who was front and center and who um was the hero you know (laughs) so it was it was for a couple of reasons but I think also, because in a lot of ways, I'm still a teenager myself <laughs> deep down. It was
3: just, I easy.
1: <laughs> you know, no shame, no shame. So I really just, it just felt right to write Star um, and make this Star story as opposed to Khalil's story. While it is still Khalil's story, Star story more so. Um, and we've seen YA books, though, that focus on these matters. And I love those books, um, like all American boys, but it's about two boys, you know? So I wanted to give us a girl for a change because we don't see enough of that in this discussion. Well,
3: you know, we're black girl nerds, so we get it like (laughs) (laughs) more power to you because we don't, we don't, we definitely don't get that enough. And if, you know, if we do get it or get the representation, it's not with the same... Um, authenticity and love and care that that you put into this novel so thank you you. thank you thank you thank you thank you so star's dad is named maverick and her brother is named seven where'd you get those (laughs) names from I mean, I, I know, but
1: I got it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, maverick, I got the name Maverick from the book Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, actually. Um, there's a line in the book where the main character, Cassie, describes her mom and she's like, her mom is a maverick. She doesn't take anything from anybody or something like that. And I was just like, huh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just, it felt like such a strong name. And because, honestly, and I'm going to sound like such a huge fangirl for saying this, because to me it just kind of reminded me of Machiavelli and then Tupac and Machiavelli. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, let's just call him Maverick, you know, because he influenced that character in so many different ways. So I'll just, I'll go with Maverick. It's not too, like, Machiavelli, but, you know, I I just made the connection. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> it's close enough. <laughs> yeah. And um, Seven um, is considered the number of perfection. Um, shout out to Erica Badu because she named our kids seven first. She did, yeah. You know? <laughs> and I remember like being like 10 years old and reading that in an article. And even at 10, I was like, that is the dopest name, you know. So I decided to name him seven. Um, like I said, it's the number of perfection. And I feel like with Maverick, he would want to name his son something like that, a strong name like that, because he'd made so many mistakes himself in his own life. He wanted his son to be even better. He wanted his son to be perfect. And while it does put a lot on seven shoulders in some ways, it's just a name for him to live up to in a way to say, hey, you're perfect. You're awesome. You're great. And I expect nothing but the best out of you, you know. Yeah. So, Names are important in the book in a lot of different ways. Yes. Um, I got silly
3: with a couple of them, but we won't go there. Oh, oh no, we're going to go there because <laughs> I have a comment and we yes. will go there. <laughs> we will go there. Uh, but no, names, names are important. And when I first read Maverick, the first thing that popped in my head was uh, Maxine from Living Single. Oh, <laughs> That was like the first thing that popped in my head. Wow. <laughs> but I was gonna say, I love how you give, um, like, this is obviously Khalil's story, this is Star's story, but you give everyone else in the novel their own stories as well. And I thought, like, Seven's storyline was very was very telling, and I really enjoyed. I enjoyed him just. <laughs> As as Star's older brother, I was like, Yeah, this is this is pretty great, but (laughs) um, but so we're gonna switch gears just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so you used to be a rapper, right? Yeah. (laughs) If you could call it that. I didn't
1: really do much of anything. (laughs) I really didn't. I was like I was the kid at the school who like when they had freestyle battles in the cafeteria. I would jump in there and
3: surprise everybody. You know. Okay, so that was you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. <laughs> and so you um are obviously and understandably a huge Tupac fan. So, yes. You have to pick your favorite Tupac song. Are you able to pick one?
1: Oh, I'm you know, I'm not. It depends on the day and my mood. Like it changes um every single day it seems. Um Today, my favorite would have to be Old School from Me Against the World. Um, But like yesterday, it was Changes, you know. (laughs) And like the day before that, it was um, I Get Around, you know. And I think that's what I love about Pac, though, because one song can make you think, another can make you laugh, another can make you cry, another can make you angry. And that's exactly what I want to do as a writer. So it's really it really is hard for me to pick just one it really is uh uh yeah we'll just say yeah i could probably probably pick a favorite album quicker than i could pick a favorite song
3: okay what's the album greatest (laughs) hits oh (laughs) oh, you cheated oh you cheated (laughs) i fell right into that (laughs) okay one point for angie zero for Kendall. okay. You'll give me next time. You'll give me next time. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> well, um, so I wanted to you. You said you got a little crazy with the character names. Um, you're not gonna bring up Devonte and Dalvin, right? You brought it. up. I'm gonna bring it up because yeah. I literally laughed out loud I said so I said Devante and whenever I hear Devante I automatically think of Jodeci because I feel like he was my my first crush ever in life (laughs) so I just hear the name Devante I think Jodeci but then his brother was named Dalvin and I said wait a minute (laughs) 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 Devante and Dalvin and that was made clear in the book you know that they were named after two minutes from Jodeci so Yeah,
1: and their uh, sisters—they have three little sisters, and their initials are TLC. I can't, I can't. (laughs) Oh
3: my god! (laughs) Listen, okay. So, quick aside, like Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with TLC, like obsessed with them. (laughs) I have,
1: I have a story. If you want to hear it, oh, please share.
3: Okay.
1: So when I was 14 years old, I was going through a hard time. Um, My mom had to pull me out of my public school and homeschool me because of bullying and stuff like that. And she knew I was a huge TLC fan. And so because I was in such a bad state, my mom being my mom, she's awesome. (laughs) She decides I need to get her to talk to her favorite member of TLC somehow to hopefully encourage her to keep going, you know. And my favorite member was Left Eye. Yeah. So my mom somehow, some way, I do not know how, found the phone number to Left Eye Studio, which we later found out was in her house. And my mom called and spoke to her assistant a couple of times and eventually got me on the phone with her. <gasps> <laughs> I'm like, I freaked out. It was the best moment of my life. I would have died. (laughs) I I was screaming running around the house, but... I got to talk to her and it was like it was a short conversation, but she just she was so nice and listened to me and, you know, encouraged me to keep going and told me, you know, things will get better stuff like that. She was just like genuinely sweet. And she sent me an autograph and a CD before her um, album had even come out. She sent it to me. And so it was like, unfortunately, like a few months later, she
3: passed. Oh, wow, and, so this and, is only a few months. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow.
1: And then, though, but here's where it gets, it really gets, like, full circle. So I had an event a few, about a month or so ago in Atlanta, and I've kept in touch with her assistant, Stephanie, over the years. We're, like, Facebook friends. And so she found out about the event, and she came. And she gave me this yellow bandana that once belonged to Lisa. She said she took it everywhere with her. Oh it was luck charm and she thought that Lisa would want me to have it and that she knows she would be so proud of me um, and that it was amazing to, for her to see me kind of like having young girls come up to me and their moms telling me, you know, you've encouraged my daughter, you know, so much. Yeah. It was to see it come full circle so
3: it was probably the most oh my god did you cry like a baby like I am wanting to cry right now did you cry I booed like a
1: baby I did and I now I take that bandana with me everywhere I really do I like I keep it on me wherever I go I take it with me and I always say that I
3: want to treat any
1: teenager who comes up to me the same way Lisa treated me those few moments on the phone Oh
3: my God. I don't even know what to say. (laughs) I really don't. It's,
1: it was, it was amazing. And it was one of those, it was one of those surreal moments. Like I still can't believe it happened. Not just the phone call, but me getting that from Stephanie. I'm just still amazed. So
3: yeah. I mean that, that was supposed (laughs) to happen. How Your mother, (laughs) uh, like what?
1: Yeah. I My mom my mom is the bomb. I say that all the time. She really is. She, oh, my God. She has done so much to get me to where I am now. I'm forever grateful. And it's even stuff like that because her doing that and me talking to Left Eye on the phone at 14 showed me that anything was possible. So I don't think I'd even be where I am now if it wasn't even for that moment showing me what's
3: possible. Yes. So, and, I mean, like, I – like, my cousin and I, I, I I'm I an only child, and so my, my older, she's two years older than me, and so we're like sisters. And the both of us, like, TLC, TLC was just everything. Yes. <laughs> they were just everything. Yes. I mean, I, girl, that is so touching. Um,
1: and and that's who I named Star's mom after, Lisa.
3: Yeah. I peeped yeah. that. I did. <laughs> I said Lisa, Okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I will have to send you a picture of that bandana because I sure I have it. Like I take it everywhere.
3: <laughs> please, please do because that was like, and then you know when when she when she passed. I mean that was so. I was like, what, what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That was that was
3: devastating. Yeah. And,
1: I don't think we'll ever have anybody like that again.
3: Right. And I mean, because see, my mom, now my mom didn't get in contact with Lisa's assistant, but <laughs> she knew that I loved TLC so much that like she just got us tickets to one of their concerts oh. and just, and I had to have been, I mean, I had to have been like eight or nine years old and I, I'm like, I'm like screaming at the top of my oh my god that's amazing In like the mid 90s just like oh my gosh she's like you are so obsessed with these girls and I said I know I am I just <laughs> my like my, my cousin and I we love we love them so much but that's so great that she got to touch your life like that
1: oh, that's so great that you
3: got to see them lie <laughs> I'm jealous <laughs> so like well I kind of know the answer to this one. But so who are your top five 90s R&B artists? I, mean, <laughs> I could probably guess two. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> but you can give us top, like the top five 90s R&B. Okay.
1: Um, TLC is definitely number one. Um, And Jodeci is not number two, but they're on the list. Um, actually, Usher is number two. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Usher did th- had me thinking thoughts at ten, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, no,
3: my way. Listen, <laughs> yes, that album, yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, that album. Like, and then him pulling his pants down in that video. Yeah. I don't, think Usher realizes what he did for a lot of us just with that. <laughs> but um, there's yeah, Usher. Um, let's see. Okay, I'll go Joe to see for number three. Um. Hmm. No, see, you really testing me now. You got
3: <laughs> this time.
1: You got me this so time. So do I get a
3: point. I get like Okay.
1: I have to think about this because, but you know, it's there were so many awesome like R and B acts in the nineties. Oh yeah, boys to men for sure. Um, but it's like it's hard to narrow that list down. There's so many. There's it's, so many. Yeah. There's so many. Oh, God. Oh, Aaliyah for sure. Um, And I think I'm going to have to go with Aunt Mary. I got to put her on there. I mean, come on. yeah. <laughs> I got to put Mary on there. I mean, got to. I mean, Mary gave so many of us hood girls confidence like no other, you know. <laughs> she, she did. So I had to put her on there. So I'm just going to. Put it at that, but I'm sure. Like after this is over, I'm gonna think of somebody else and be like, "Oh, I should have said them instead." You'd be like,
3: "Oh, Blackstreet." Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like some other, yeah. There's so many 90s R&B is just everything. I yeah, it is. It It really is. I love it so much. I gotta gotta make me a Spotify list now. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Well, we're gonna nerd out on Harry Potter just a little bit because. You have a lot of Harry Potter references in your book, which I love too. <laughs> um, so, okay, so I'm I am personally Ravenclaw. Okay, all right, I, all right. I
1: technically am too, but I'm finding myself more Slytherin lately, and just in my ambition.
3: That's my, <laughs> not like I'm evil. I'm not, you know, I'm not being evil. Look, Slytherin gets a bad rep, like it does Slytherin is not not everyone in Slytherin is is an evil person you know no no so
1: I yeah I say I'm a Ravenclaw with Slytherin ambition you got you got tendencies
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you made uh seven in the novel you made him a Slytherin right yeah I think so okay yep. which I thought was cool I was like yeah someone you know He's ambitious, see? He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is there a Harry Potter character that you relate to the most? Um,
1: Hermione, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I will be honest, like, when I was reading the books growing up, before the movies, I was like, oh, she's black, you know? Because so... she is. <laughs> she is. She is. And I was disappointed, you know, when I saw who they casted. No shade to Emma. But I was, you know. But, um, yeah, Hermione, for sure. Um, she gave us nerd girls. Like, she gave us life. <laughs> she did. So, and I often say, like, Harry would not have been who he was if it was not for her. So He
3: she does wouldn't. Not- he would you know, not. He
1: would not have survived that first year if it was not for Hermione. Let's just be real. You know? <laughs> like- she does not get enough credit. She's the backbone of the trio and the brains
3: right and Hermione (laughs) figured so many things out and they're like oh my god yes that makes so much sense she's like I know (laughs) (laughs) right right yeah like Harry I mean you know Harry is (laughs) Harry but come on (laughs) yeah
1: he would have been basic if it was not for her let's just be real
3: (laughs) (laughs) so like um, what other things do you nerd out over um,
1: I am a huge Black Panther fan and I cannot wait for this movie. Yes, <laughs> I yes. Um, I secretly hold out hope that we will get a Storm movie. Um, and she'll
3: be recast, no
1: offense, but... <laughs> <laughs>
3: keep it real, keep it real. Yeah, um...
1: Uh, <laughs> um, let's see, what else? Uh, I like, I'm a video game person.
3: Okay.
1: Um, I, I'm not like a big gamer cause I don't have time anymore, but like right now I'm big on the Sims, which is not technically gaming to some people, but it is for me. Um, I'm a big Sims fan. Uh, <laughs> I think I have control issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see as far as like TV goes. Oh gosh. Um, I love, I actually love empire. Um, mm-hmm. I love Queen Sugar. Um, I try to tweet along with y'all. <laughs> <that>. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh let's see what else am I nerding over lately? You know it's been hard. it's been hard to be a nerd lately for me just because time time yeah. yeah but um no, I mean, and honestly though, but there are so many great black shows now on television. Um, I my mom has gotten me into Greenleaf.
3: <laughs> I still have not started Greenleaf, and everyone keeps oh, telling me to watch it.
1: You gotta, and I think for me though, because I worked in the church, I'm watching it and like, yep, that's it. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the drama, you know. I'm not gonna name my church, but the drama is like spot on. <laughs> so <laughs> Greenleaf, all the way. Um, I love like the Marvel Cinematic Universe for sure. I need to go see Guardians too. Uh yeah,
3: you need to see that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. Um and I'm a big like I love Disney animated films. Pixar specifically. Mm-hmm. I love them. So, um yeah, I'm getting to explore more nerd stuff in my second book and I'm excited about that.
3: I'm so glad you brought that up because that's was my <laughs> next question. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> If you, what can you tell us about the next book? Um,
1: what I can say is that it's not a sequel or a spinoff, okay. but it is set in the same neighborhood and it is about a black girl nerd. Um,
3: hey. I know. <laughs> Who
1: also is a rapper. So it's like what you
3: know. Now, which R and B artist is she gonna be named after? <laughs> She's
1: not. She's not okay. named after any R and B artist. She's not. She's not. But no. Um. Yeah. It's. I kind of call it like Eight Mile meets Dope. Okay. So. Um. Yeah. I'm excited. I've been, you know, getting to write more nerdy stuff in there with it, and pe- some people like hip hop nerd, and I'm like, yeah, hip
3: hop nerd. So. Yeah. That's what we're. It's with. a thing. Yeah, yeah, it is exist. a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So you and can, you can you be can... a nerd about hip hop. Yes. Yes.
1: So. I mean I mean some of the biggest rappers out there now are nerds. I mean
3: like, yeah. you know. So I'm excited. I am. Aww. Well, so. I just have um the next little section. It's just either or, a little rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's see. So Forever, my lady, the album, or Diary of a Mad Band. Oh wow, you went there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, um, I'm just, I'm gonna have to go with Forever, my lady, the album. Yes. Yeah, I have to. (laughs) Yes.
3: That album is everything. Like I love Diary of a Mad Band as well, but you got stay and. Mm But, and yeah. come and talk to me. Come and, and talk to me. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. You gotta go with that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the autobiography of Malcolm X or Revolutionary Suicide.
1: Oh, you are really kidding me. Um <laughs> Um Okay, I'll have to go with the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I say that because like I feel like that book is like the one that got me first got me woke. <laughs> um, I was like a freshman in college when I finally picked it up, and it made me look at everything differently. So I have to go with that
3: one. All right, I like it. it I I feel the same. It made me look at a lot of things differently. So definitely, um, Harry Potter or Supernatural? Oh,
1: <laughs> you're hurting me. <laughs> I'm sorry, girl. It's okay. It's okay. I have to go with Harry Potter, and like I feel so bad about saying that. You know, um, I mean, i followed Jensen on Supernatural since, like, oh gosh, since days of our lives. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he was you know. on days of our lives. Yes,
1: he was, he was, he was, and so I, I feel bad, but no, I have to go with Harry Potter. Those books really changed my life in a lot of ways, so, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, be <fine.
3: laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. They'll they're, be fine, they're right. good. They don't care. <laughs> well, we're going to keep it Harry Potter. Um, so I'm going to give you three options on this one. If you were admitted to Hogwarts, mm-hmm. which class would you be most excited to take? Charms, potions, or transfiguration?
1: Oh. Ooh.
3: Um, Is Snape teaching potions? Oh, yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship so no. Yeah, all the teachers are the same. Okay,
1: um, transfiguration then, because, just because of McGonagall, you know, <laughs> I'm yeah. just gonna be honest. Yeah, she was like, I, I'd love to take a class under her and then like afterwards be like, okay, so can you give me advice on this this and this you know (laughs) that has nothing to do with class but you're such a badass I'm willing to take your knowledge any way I can get it so it would have to be transfiguration
3: (laughs) if if the if the teachers were different would you still choose transfiguration
1: um yeah I think so I think so
3: yeah like ruining people like yeah people in the (laughs) stuff Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potions potions can be a little dangerous. Potions, yeah, it's <laughs> is, is pretty dangerous. <laughs> um, okay, I think I know the answer to this one, maybe, but mm-hmm. Martin or Fresh Prince.
1: Ooh. Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> um Ooh. Uh Oh, you you'd think it would automatically be Fresh Prince just because of the references in the book. But that's a hard one. I think I'm going to go with it, though. I think I am. But it has to be Fresh Prince with the original Aunt Viv. Clearly. It cannot, <laughs> it <laughs> cannot <laughs> have <an> imposter.
3: <laughs> imposter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'll go with. Fresh Prince with the original Aunt Viv.
3: Yeah, it's like, you know, Fresh Prince, but with stipulations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, sugar on your grits or nah? nah <laughs> nah thank you nah.
1: thank you cheese grits yeah but no no sugar no, no. sugar mm, i i agree
3: uh <laughs> which tlc album is better Ooh on the tlc tip or crazy sexy cool ooh, that's hard that's hard <laughs> you know it's
1: it, it would be it would be
3: easy to say crazy sexy cool
1: but you know as a left eye fan yeah see tip for me I think. um, Yeah, I'm going to go with it. Because, you know, I mean, Crazy Sexy Cool is an amazing album, you know. But they scaled her down a lot on it. And I get why she was going through her legal stuff, you know. Homegirl just burnt the house down. Let's be real. Yeah. So I get it. <laughs> but I think, ooh, on a TLC tip. And it was just, that album is so fun to listen to. It is. Um, Crazy Sexy Cool is amazing. But that one is just fun to listen to. And it's like, you listen to it, and you're ready to put on your baggy clothes and stuff, you
3: know? Yes. And, I, like, my cousin texted me the other day, because she was watching the video to Baby, Baby, Baby on YouTube. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but every time I hear Hat to the Back, I think about her, because she was such a tomboy. And oh. that song, like, really spoke to her about That's... the baggy clothes and yeah, all of that, so... That that yeah, I
1: love that song. That whole album though, 'cause that album they just didn't hold back. You know,
3: they went there on some stuff. So I think that would have to be my favorite.
1: And I that think. was
3: that was back when Left Eye was wearing condoms on her. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so which TLC song is better? Mm-hmm. No Scrubs, The Remix, or Waterfalls? Ooh. Ooh.
1: <laughs> you are really tough. <laughs> um okay. Let's see. I'll go with Waterfalls. I think I will have to go with Waterfalls. Yeah. And yeah, cuz that song was like that song got me through a lot of stuff. So I have to go with that one. You know, No Scrubs is great. I still listen to that, you know. I'll, you know, I still sing it and looking at the guy in the passenger side and automatically thinking with no scrubs, you know? But, yeah, I have to go with Waterfalls. I mean, that video
3: was pretty deep too.
1: Yes, yes, that video was amazing.
3: So, yeah, Waterfalls. Final answer. Final answer. (laughs) Okay, so this is the last one. Hopefully it's not too hard. Uh, Since Star's boyfriend in your novel is a white guy named Chris, I have to ask, Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth? Oh, gosh. (laughs)
1: Oh, oh, you know, I was, I was, I, you know, I was afraid you were going to ask about all the Chrises because, you know, when you put them all out there, it gets even harder. Um, Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth? I think I have to go with Evans.
3: Girl, um, yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I have nothing against Hemsworth, but Evans, I don't know. I mean, Yeah. I, I, yeah, I. I mean, the accent is great, but Chris Evans—he's just—he's adorable, and I'm afraid that one day he's going to say something very idiotic, and it's just going to ruin it for me. So. <laughs>
3: I know that's like the biggest fear. Like, oh God, please.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, I, Hemsworth is fine. It's all get out, but I got to go with Evans. He's 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 yeah. He's fine and adorable at the same time.
3: I don't know how, but he is. So right. I, have to, I have to go with Evans. And he also he he also says the right things. Like he stands yes. up for everything. I'm just like, oh god, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. He does.
1: He does. He does. He's woke. a little bit. He's a little bit woke. He, he you a, know. He's he a, he a little bit woke. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna take your answer and be like, okay, so like whoever you said, I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna be like, all right, Chris Evans or Chris Pine, but
1: <laughs> oh. I mean, if it came down to those two, it would probably still be Evans. Though right. I, I love Chris Pine too; he's adorable. Um, but yeah, I think it'll have to be Evans all the way. I Evans think. for the win. Yeah, he yeah. I mean, when I saw the first Captain America, I had to see it again and again and again, and it's mainly because of him. I mean, <laughs> uh, let's be real.
3: Like I mean, it was good, but yeah. but he made it better. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like okay, I go see it once. This is good, but I'm going to see it like three or four times because. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's powerful. We'll go with Evans.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it is powerful in more ways than one. Yes. <laughs> Oh God, this was so much fun! Thank you, Angie.
1: Thank you. This was amazing. This is this has been incredible. So thank you so much. Yes. Thank, you.
3: thank you. Now tell us where uh, we can find you on social media.
1: Um, I'm on Twitter
3: at AC Thomas Books.
1: Um, I'm on Instagram, not nearly enough, at AC Writes. <laughs> um, I also have Tumblr. Um, is Writer's Ambitions, with a Z at the end. Um, (laughs) And my website is AngieThomas.com.
3: All right. Sounds good. And everybody, if you haven't read The Hate You Give, you need to go do that right now. That's your homework assignment. (laughs) And
1: if you're like, you don't read books, which is crazy to me, but if you don't read books,
3: um, we will have a movie. Yes. Yeah. I cannot believe I didn't even bring that up. Okay. That's okay. So, like, rewind. What can you tell us about the movie? Um, I should have
1: great news soon Okay. Um, about some great developments that are happening. But the movie is happening. Um, I'm not allowed to say a whole lot, like, on the record. Yeah. yeah. But um, I will say we have an actress attached. Um, You guys interviewed her about a week ago. I'm sorry you interviewed them about a week ago. Mandela Stenberg is attached to Playstar. Um, we have a director by the name of George Tillman Junior who did um Barbershop, Soul Food, Luke Cage and This Is Us. So I will say that his vision for the film is so incredible that I almost wish he would have co wrote the book with me.
3: Oh. And yes. I I know you can't I know like, you know, you don't do casting, but who would you have like to be other people <laughs> cast in a movie? If you could. Yeah. If
1: I could. Um I I'm hesitant to say some stuff because I do get a little say on some stuff. Okay. A, well, I get to make suggestions. So I could probably tell you like who I would really love. Um I would love Mr. Elba for her dad, and I always say Mr. Elba because he's so fine, he demands respect. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's always what I say. So I would like, I would love to get him from Maverick, like absolutely love to get him from Maverick. I could and see I know, that. I know y'all interviewed him, so I don't know if he listens or not, but I would love that. So <laughs> you no,
3: know, we're gonna work, we're gonna work our black girl magic. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. So, I would love that. Um, And, let's see. Uh, If I could, I would get, like, Jennifer Lewis for Nana, for sure. Um, (laughs) Yes, Nana! With the drink! (laughs) She's, like, who I imagined as I was writing the character. So, I would get Jennifer Lewis for Nana, for sure. Um, And, I mean, for, like, her mom, there are so many great actresses out there that it's, like, hard to choose. Um like Taraji P. Henson would be great or Carrie Washington would be great. I'm like I'm gonna be happy, <laughs> you know, with who they get because there's so many great black actresses out there.
3: Yeah. So isn't that a good thing an... to say? That's a good
1: yeah. thing to say. <laughs> yeah. They just don't get enough, you know, roles. So if we could get i am I'm I'm sure it's gonna be somebody great. I'm not worried at all. Um, because like I said George Tillman, his vision for this movie is, like, so incredible. And Fox is putting, like, so much behind this. They're, like, a 1,000% on board, and they're excited about it. I'm just excited to see what happens. So I have full confidence in
3: them. Yes, well, we're excited, too. Hey. (laughs) Thank you so much, Angie. Thank you. Thank you.
2: The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, Mr. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify.
3: That was a HeadGum podcast.